This episode of The Citadel Cafe is brought to you by listeners like you. Visit patreon.com slash the Citadel Cafe to find out how you can become a patron and help make this show possible. This is the Citadel Cafe, episode number 379 for Thursday, October 22nd, 2020. My name is Joel Duggan, and the Citadel Cafe is where my friends and I hang out to talk about the geeky stuff we are into. Joining me this week, Brockett Vola is back. You can find him not at Brockett on all social media. It's at uh, the Cat Volver, right? I have my notes wrong. Correct, yes. I yep. think I did like an autocomplete in Google Notes and it just kind of like filled everything. My name's weird enough though that it could probably have gone. <laughs> and I should have probably branded it and grabbed it early because, you know, now on Twitter, everyone's always like the real blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. So it, it won't be long before, you know, Brockett becomes more of a zeitgeist type of name. But um, but yeah. I, just I think you could just add some credence to your name now by getting the accounts for the real Brockett Vola. I think. <laughs> yeah people will be like oh right 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 yeah i was following the fake one for years uh during his younger podcasting days but yes <laughs> yes at the cat Volver. so now this was a private message that you sent me but um this is the kind of thing i have seen on various you know posts from you on social media but um you have a copy of uh, the Daily Paintings book that I published, uh, a book of Piper Thibodeau's art uh, in 2017. And you sent mm-hmm. me uh, an image of uh, Emerson, your daughter, um, reading. I mean, she's two, but she's look. it's a picture book. So she's enjoying mm-hmm. um, the, the book. I, did you know that it was a live photo? Because when I opened it up on my phone, uh, there was this giant cartoony gesture of Emerson with her finger above her head. And then she slams it down onto the book pointing directly at, I think it was a pig, <laughs> but it was, yeah, it was I, very, um, very funny. I didn't know it was alive. I had hoped to catch her pointing when I, cause she was pointing several times at the book and mm-hmm. I wanted to bring it up too. Cause it was, it was, um, uh, you and Piper were on my mind this week too, uh, because of that. And she found that book and, uh, yeah, she did. She pointed at him. Uh, oddly enough, that was not the one book, the, the, the picture in all of Piper's books thus far at my daughter really needed all of her stuffies to see all of her stuffed animals, but she brought them all over to look at this banana slug painting. <laughs> and she just kept saying banana and she kept pointing at it and showing all of her stuffies, the banana slug. So I, I mean, I don't, I mean, I think there are fantastic pictures throughout the whole thing and banana slugs is definitely very good but in the grand scheme of that book like banana slug was not jumping off the page the way it was to my daughter so it just shows you the wide range of interesting and creative pictures that piper has put out and you were able to help put out uh, as well and uh yeah it was really cool it's it's been something that i like um the other day we were uh rifling through some stuff and yeah your star cross volume one came out and I, i pulled it out of where it was so i could put it um out so i could see it more often so i would know it's on the shelf because um things have been jostled uh, over the years with a child you shove things in different places then you forget about them but uh but it was interesting too because i was like you know with the piper book it's been nice to look through uh 
here and there and for a brief period it was like out more displayed and then my child tore parts of the desk cover so now the desk cover is essentially in a different place um but uh she's really enjoyed looking at the pictures and they're obviously you know very well drawn and beautiful and and i think they really it's fun because some of them are or pop culture and some of them are just landscapes and i think some of it is just really fun to see what she is drawn to and mm. I think that's uh, that's something that's really unique and awesome about art of any kind. So uh, I yeah, think it's, too, it's really cool. the the appeal of Piper's work has a broad like you don't even have to get to joke like to know that it's a good you know a a, a, yeah. a good painting. You know, like uh, n- people that don't speak English wouldn't get the puns half the time because usually the puns are based on English words, right? So if you're right, yeah, if you're, if you're German, then you may not get you know the 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 whole you know thing but it, it one of the things that i've noticed and um even the longevity of piper's work like i the book has been out of print for at least a year and a half now um but we still have clients that will want um print orders for their shops uh in particular halloween there's a, a couple of clients in the states that have like prints that they want in their comic shops and things like that because piper's done some the the, the cute spooky you know what i mean like it's it's mm-hmm. like it's, yeah it's halloweeny but it's all like chibi and and very adorable and stuff um and that kind of thing is 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 something that that's um big and uh, i forget about it because because the book is no longer like sold all the time uh or at all i guess uh the prints don't move as fast so i forget sometimes that i still even have a store um, for, for Piper's work. And, and, uh, it's always refreshing, you know, when people come back because they want more of the same print and they say, Oh, by the way, this one still sells really well. And it's like, it's funny, like as saturated as the internet is and as, and as popular as her work has become, there's still a lot of people out there that just have no idea that Piper's work even exists. And, yeah. um, as a publisher, like I know I got so steeped in it that, I had to remind myself like a lot of times when I, you know, mentioned the book to people, you know, you're at social, not, not anymore, but like when you were at social gatherings and you said stuff like that uh, at a Christmas party, people were like, well, wait, what? Like you have a book, like you published a book. And so, you know, I'd show them Piper's work and they're like, I've never seen this before, you know? So it was, it's always fun to kind of like turn people on to that kind of stuff, especially um, these days where Piper is still doing, I'm not sure what number she's on she's got to be into the 3000s now if not 4000s uh, in terms of her daily paintings but i mean talk about you know a breath of fresh air on social media these days you know just kind of have that cartoon kind of fly by right you know whenever you're going through so uh, i always encourage people to check it out uh, piper thibodeau well uh, you can go to forgepublishing.com uh, and you'll see links to all all the stuff there um, but speaking of appealing somewhat childish endeavors uh <laughs> I, I did a, a Lego Let's Chat on Twitch last Sunday, and uh, the VOD is available on, on the videos um, part of the channel if anybody's interested. That's twitch.tv slash Joel Duggan. And uh, this was something that I tried to attach to a September goal, but it, uh, it didn't end up going quite the way that I wanted. I wanted to try to get 100 subscribers on Twitch, which would then unlock this Lego stream. But I was so disappointed that I didn't make that goal um, that I was just like, well, I really want to do this Lego thing anyway. So I think what we're going to do is I'm going to move the Lego uh, Let's Chat thing um, to a Patreon goal. And I'm not going to keep it behind uh, the goal wall, but 
I can't do these regularly. I only have a handful of Lego sets left to, to build. Uh, and if I do them too often, then it'll just be like, I just, I'll run out of Lego. So, um, what I'm going to do is, is, is put up a goal to say like, well, I'll do these whenever I can, but if we reach a certain goal on Patreon, then I'll do them monthly. Uh, and the idea was that, uh, I don't have like a let's chat component of my stream cause I don't have a webcam. I don't stream with a face cam. And so I don't often sit there and just chat with the chat room, you know, like a lot of mm-hmm. our friends that do podcasts and stuff will do. Um, and so I thought this was a really good way to not be playing a video game, still be doing something interesting. That's super chill because when I'm not paying attention, the Lego doesn't try to shoot me. Um, <laughs> and, and so, uh, I can sit there and engage with the chat, stop what I'm doing, talk with them, talk about the channel. And so I turned it into kind of like a town hall. We were talking about the Twitch channel, the games I'm playing, you know, um, different goals, um, trying to figure out, you know, what the last emote's going to be on the channel. Um, what my plans are like, whether I'm going to do future Lego streams, like stuff like this. And so it was a really cool, um, cool stream. And somebody else that was streaming Lego rated with like 50 or 60 people. Uh, and turns out a lot of them were really um, nerdy Lego fans. So I'm, I like Lego, but I don't know what all the pieces are called. Like I don't know all the terminology. And so we had like this like small team of experts in the chat. So like, I don't know, what is this? And someone, like, someone says like, oh, that's an axle. I was like, oh, okay, good to know. I now know, <laughs> know what an axle is. Because some, nice. some of the pieces, because I was building um, Lego set uh, 75246, the Death Star Cannon, which was a gift from a friend of the show, Alistair McFly. And uh, part of it is has some Technic pieces. A lot of the Star Wars sets will have Technic Lego pieces in them because they have swiveling guns or moving wings or yeah. like m- mechanical <laughs> functionality to the playset. And so um, I'm less familiar with the Technic stuff. I don't buy the Technic sets because I don't find I like the way that they look in the end. I much prefer things that look like you know, ships or vehicles, or whatever. Blocks or or sure, yeah, yeah, or houses or things. But like the the Technic stuff still looks like technic blocks it doesn't look like it's trying to be something else it doesn't look like a model yeah. it looks like a, it looks more like a, a an engineering kit and mechanical thing yeah yeah exactly so um but it was really cool to have everybody on board so if, if people that were there are now listening to this because we talked about the podcast um thanks for coming by and and i hope everybody had a good time i i like to do um i like to to do the the knolling part of the 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 build at the beginning of every bag. I'm not sure if you're familiar with this, but I basically no. lay out all the pieces out like in a nice orderly fashion at like right angles to one another. So, um, it, 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 it adds like to the, the picture show. Yeah. In the, of yeah. The yeah. Yeah. The inventory yeah. or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. So I, um, because I really enjoy Lego, but it's also not a cheap habit. Uh, it makes a small play set of like 270 pieces last longer because mm. it takes you a fair amount of time to lay everything out. And then when it comes time to build stuff, you're not actually hunting through a pile of pieces looking for the thing that you want. You can clearly see where it is. Um, and I find it very relaxing. It allows me to chat with the audience and stuff like that. But uh, we also unwrapped a couple of other um, Lego kits that were gifts, which was really, really nice from the community. Uh, opened up a gift from the Cosmic family. So Cosmic Dancer, one of my moderators, uh, Little Cosmic Boy, Little Cosmic Dancer, and uh, Cosmic Dad or Cosmic Man. I can't remember what we call her husband. <laughs> we have different <laughs> names for everybody. Um, but anyway, they, they sent me the uh, Snowspeeder, the 20th anniversary edition. So these are the the ones from the Battle of Hoth 
that looked flies. Mm. Uh, and then my dad uh, gave me a present, and it was a Resistance A-wing starfighter from Ooh. the latest the latest film. This is from the the Last Jedi. Um, is it the Last Jedi? No, what was the Last Jedi? Was the second one? Rise of Skywalker. Yes, Rise of Skywalker yes. was this one. So this is this is a Republic A-wing starfighter. So it's got a green a green stripe on it. So and they're really fun because these are all minifig scales. They're not the the big like Ultimate Collector's Edition things. These oh feel, yeah, I was wondering. Okay, yeah. yeah, these feel more like they're in scale with a minifigure, which I like. I, I prefer those sets. I mean, well, also they're more accessible and affordable. But, um, but yeah, I really, I really, yeah, it's beautiful. I, yeah, I really enjoyed the the time on stream this week. So, uh, thanks to anybody that came out. The VOD is available at twitch.tv slash Joel Duggan. This this um this uh, a wing can shoot you though joel it appears yes so actually and so so can the death star cannon as a matter of fact <laughs> there's these spring-loaded pieces that you put into the build and it's funny like usually it's like there's the part of the build that looks like the laser and then there's a, a more solid part of the build that will actually shoot a long plastic red or green bolt across the yeah. room and i mean yeah. it will go 30 feet like it's <laughs> I had to I had to put the box on the table and then one of them fired accidentally and it was it went across the room. It took me twenty minutes to find it after the stream. I was like, where the heck did that go? And because I've got hardwood floors in the, in the in the apartment, so it just went for days, right? It's like okay. yeah, but yeah. So I don't that that kind of functionality doesn't really appeal to me. I do like the fact that a lot of the Star Wars vehicles uh, they will move. So they'll have moving canopies. You know, you can open the cockpit, put the thing in. You can sometimes the wings will will change or landing yeah, gear will come down, stuff. flaps yeah. and stuff. The A wing doesn't have a lot of moving parts, um, but the um, the Imperial shuttle Tidarium that I have, which I did build on stream a couple of years ago, that moves as you as you think it would. The landing gear goes up and down, and then the two wings will fold up vertically so it can land. And then when you pick yeah. it up, if you wanted, to, if you were playing with it as a, as a kid and you were flying it around the room, you could bring it down so it has that Y formation. You know, the, yeah. the shuttles. It's it's very cool stuff. The the thought that they put into these things. Moving on to listener email, we have an email from the Double O Squirrel. Hey Joel and co-host, this email is designed to spark discussions, but like a uh, a bit like a nerd Mount Rushmore from a while ago. If you're wondering, Tony Stark, Legolas, Death, Darth Vader, and Frank Moses. If you could pick one book or a book series that would get turned into a movie or a Netflix series, etc., what would it be and why? Extra challenge if the co-host is Lou, no zombies. Keep up the amazing podcasts, and both of you have a great day. Stay chunky, the double O squirrel. The stay chunky uh, sign-off is actually from the Spawn Chunks because double squirrel is also a, a Minecraft fan. Uh, and a, oh, a nice. listener of the Spawn Chunks. So a lot of our listeners on the Spawn Chunks will be just like, you know, some sort of clever Minecraft related sign out, like logging out or has left the game or stay chunky or whatever. Um, but oh, I thought, I thought nice. it was funny Thanks that it's now it's that. now permeating the Citadel Cafe where people are, are adding funny sign offs to their emails. So I totally encourage this. Please continue. <laughs> it's fun. Um, surprisingly, this took me very little time to come up with a book that I think would make uh, a good... I went with a movie. I'm realizing now after rereading the email that this could also be a very good series. I'm yeah, not... if you think of a series now almost... You could have a TV series that's only three episodes nowadays. Yeah. Like, if it's done well. So really, yeah, you could kind of take it both ways for sure. Yeah, the issue I have with it, and one of the reasons why I think my brain did not go that way, 
is because I've lost a lot of faith in places like Amazon and, and Netflix because so many of their original series are hit and miss for me these days. Uh, I don't have as deep a faith in uh, things like, you know, Stranger Things is good, but like not everything Netflix does is great. Uh, and so I, I'm a little bit on my heels on that. But I really enjoyed A Dirty Job by Christopher Moore. Uh, it's a fantasy adventure. Uh, we'll call it maybe a supernatural fantasy, I guess. Uh, but it's also very funny. Uh, it's a story about a, a guy named Charlie Asher, who is a pretty normal guy with a normal life, married to a bright and pretty woman who actually loves him for his normalcy. They're even able to have their first child. Yes, Charlie is doing okay until people start dropping dead around him. And everywhere he goes, a dark presence whispers to him from under the streets. Charlie Asher, it seems, has been recruited for a new position as death. <laughs> and yeah. uh, it sounds morbid, but essentially uh and this is not a spoiler because it happens in the first chapter uh charlie ends up being a single dad trying to raise at this toddler his new baby while managing being the grim reaper and mm -hmm. things like walking down the street and being now that he has these supernatural powers he's now aware of these various forces at worth that are at work that are vying for human souls and there's like these evil creatures under the streets that he calls sewer harpies uh there's uh i think there's like a, a a buddhist monk or a buddhist temple that he's he's um comes in, into contact with and what i like so much about moore's writing is that he takes bits and pieces from existing religious beliefs and systems and and sometimes they're tropey sometimes they're they're more obscure uh, especially for like North American readers. And he just kind of melds them all into like, so this is what you all think from your different walks of life is normal. But then he kind of like makes this world and says, no, 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 this is how it is. These are the rules of my imaginary Charlie Asher is the Grim Reaper kind of story. And he pulls the bits that work for his story from Buddhism and Judaism and Christianity and, 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 um, traditional myth, you know, even myth and mythology and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. And he just kind of like piles them all onto one big pot and boils it and says, this is the, this is the story. This is the world that you live in. And so it has all these like little grounds of reality, but it's always like an interesting take. Um, but I do remember like the balance of the mundane on the surface juxtaposed with the strange supernatural underbelly of the story uh, is just really, really well done. Like he works in a dollar store. <laughs> so the Grim Reaper is <laughs> yeah. basically like, you know, a dollar store checkout clerk. Like it's, yeah. it has like a, it almost has like a um, Kevin Smith vibe to it a little bit. And it's funny because he doesn't know what's going on. He's, he's what's called, um, I think described in the book, he's a, he's a beta male. So he's not a leader. He's not an alpha dog. Like he's just yeah. like, I, he's doing this reluctantly and every, at every turn, he's just like, okay, well, I, like, I guess I have to do this because um, if not, bad things will happen and it's it just it has this kind of like um pending doom but then he is doom like there's all these really you know interesting moments and i think one of the reasons why i think it would make an excellent film is because we're not at a, now at a point where you know special effects and storytelling and all that kind of stuff it could be done very very well yeah uh i don't think it could be done in a like a pg-13 way i like i think you'd want to go maybe not are but you'd want to go 
into a, a bit of a, a horror comedy kind of vibe with it because some of the stuff that happens is like it's death. So like it's kind of grotesque and like there's talking, yeah. like, talking corpses and like, you know, all the different kind of things The kind of like Hellboy esque type of stuff that you'd American see. werewolf in London type of yeah like, like yeah, that that kind yeah. of thing so so I think that it would be good and uh, I would say um, given what I've seen from things like uh, Ron Howard in the Da Vinci Code series of movies uh, I think Ron Howard or John Favreau would be excellent directors for a movie well called... one of them yeah is nearly impeccable in my opinion yeah um, and that's Favreau I think he's yeah. been phenomenal recently yeah. yeah yeah I mean and Favreau obviously capable of doing a very good series you know with the Mandalorian right um, right. I just don't think that this would fit on Disney plus like this is like Dis- Disney is not the mother for the <laughs> for this <laughs> Have this you... particular film uh, uh, as we've been in Halloween and I'll get to um, stuff I've been watching it's it's painfully um, apparent how much Disney plus has, has, has distanced itself from certain things that would be more um, less than family friendly. Cause their Halloween section is essentially nightmare before Christmas, Hocus Pocus, and then a series of Disney channel Halloween movies like Halloween town. And you're like, huh, I'm pretty sure Disney and its other companies have done plenty of horror films or have fingers in it but they're not going to put it on disney plus and that's all going to be on hulu which they own and hulu is loaded with like more frightening stuff but um yeah it's just it's the same way where you're like uh dirty job we're going to pitch it to hulu uh and then disney can put the money into hulu but they won't yeah. put it on disney plus so. what's the scariest thing on disney is it like pirates of the caribbean the most frightening thing I've seen is probably a few episodes here and there of different cartoons because there's a few of them that slip slip through the cracks. But honestly, that I found is the Treehouse of Horrors. Since they've gotten their hands mm. on on Simpsons, they have a whole right. a whole tab that's every Treehouse of Horror. And I started to watch the the first couple going through, and they're not. I mean, those also aired on network TV. But the Simpsons always sort of like pushed the boundaries of what they could do, and Fox kind of let them. Mm-hmm. So for Disney Plus, Simpsons Treehouse of Horrors are probably the most um, definitely for a cartoon on Disney Plus, where you edgy. assume every cartoon on Disney Plus is going to be safe for kids. It's probably the edgiest thing on Disney Plus, to be honest. I can't remember the last time that I watched an episode of The Simpsons. I don't either. I think it was. Probably when they were sub twenties uh, seasons, oh. probably sub eighteens or even nineteen. Like I, yeah, I think it was teens, probably twenty so. years ago for me. I think I was probably in university. I think yeah, because we, we would have all gathered around to watch it, on, like on. I think it was <laughs> Sunday, around. Sunday night, Thursday night. I don't remember when it was. Well, because not everybody had a TV. Like, well, no, I know, but nowadays you think about people having TVs in their hands, Joel, and I like know. when you when you hear Joel <laughs> gathered around, people are like. Around a phone, around yeah. a tablet, you're like, no. A- when people a- only had one TV and cable, and it wasn't, <laughs> were... and it, then the television w- w- it was a tube. It wasn't even a flat screen. <laughs> like it was, it was like <laughs> a 24 or 27 inch square box. Yeah, that we, because yeah. well, I mean, this was 97, 98. Yeah. So like yeah, you know, and sure. and and like not everybody had a TV, and if they did, they probably bought it from the university town. They didn't bring it with them. You know, like it's, mm-hmm. they just, they just, you know, had too it there. Too expensive, too no. heavy. And, and the rooms weren't big enough. Like I stayed in a room that was two foot wider than the bed that I slept in. Like it just, it wasn't, you know, <laughs> you didn't have any room to do anything. Cause you, you, like didn't, on a, you didn't spend on a spaceship. No, you didn't spend any time in your actual dorm room unless you were studying. Like the, the only time that you did that was when you were sleeping is because, uh, people in the house that I stayed in, 
had larger rooms at the end of the halls. So some of the big double rooms, you could easily put like a card table up in the middle of it. And so ultimately you'd end up with a friend or someone that knew the guy at the end of the, or girl at the end of the hall. And you would all just congregate in that room. And it was nice because you could walk down the hall, um, you go down and before you went down for like dinner, you'd go and you'd, and you'd gather in this room and then all eight of you would all go down and eat dinner together. So it's like having little sub families. It was actually, it was really cool. I don't regret living on campus for two years. Uh, living off campus was more of a financial um, decision later on, but I, and I, you know, like after a while I wasn't a big partier. So, so being on campus after a while, you're kind of like, okay, I'm, I'm done. I need some peace and quiet. Um, but, but in the first two years, like I made a lot of friends living on campus, which was great. Yeah, sounds the structure of it sounds like you're on a spacecraft. You're yeah. in your little tiny pod with your one berth. <laughs> I get out of my berth. I walk down the hallway. I walk to like you know my cadet leaders' quarters, which is a double size room. We gather there, and then we go down for mess, and we eat our meals, and then we go back up to our pods to study our our star charts. Did you get, like? Did you live on campus when you were at university? It's weird. I spent two years at NYU, New York University in the heart of Manhattan. And so I was definitely in dorms there. Um, and every dorm I stayed in, my freshman dorm was a very small room with three of us in it connected to another room where two more people were in it. But it was right on Broadway on 10th Street and Broadway, which if you're familiar with Manhattan is an incredibly great piece of real estate. Um, so the room itself wasn't fantastic, but you were right up on everybody. And that was fine. And then my second year, I had a we had a big, long room, loft style, and uh, I had two other roommates. Um, but then when I moved back to Florida and went to FSU from the jump, I was pretty much off campus. Um, but that is sort of more the style down there, too, because in Manhattan, there's a lot of real estate for young college people to go out and find their own place to live. Whereas in Florida, it was like around the campus and my my hometown is a college state city so basically everything around the city is built around the the capital or the college so there's mm. plenty of housing for students there and, and that's sort of more the experience there but um yeah yeah mount a was an academy back in the early 1900s but then it turned into a university <laughs> um, you're not surprised so me much. with the way your dorms are described no well no my grandfather went to mount a um when he was in like in the 1930s um 20s anyway um as the campus expanded newer buildings had newer rooms they were much larger and more space and but i i stayed in truman which was a, a traditional dorm um not, no longer a dorm actually they, they deemed it too small and too you know like not not the best social situation for people so it's now like offices and like the gym and the meal hall and stuff um, but, uh, around this, around the town of Sackville, which was phew, population 6,000, maybe, um, 10,000 when the students were in, um, it like almost all of the houses within a few blocks of the university were all rentals. Like they were all just meant to, yeah. to, you know, get four or five students together in a big Victorian house and just have each person rent a room, you know, and there'd be a communal kitchen, bathroom, et cetera. And so once you move off campus, if you weren't living in one of very few apartments that you could find, you'd be usually sharing a house with someone. And those houses were always kind of a shit show. Um, I lucked out in my fourth year. I think the best living situation I had was probably the fourth year. I was downtown above the home hardware, uh, 
retail outlet and which is above great above a hardware store yeah because uh <laughs> it was nice because it like there was nothing going on so at i mean it in a small town it was nine to five so i mean at five o'clock the hardware store closed down yeah and so you didn't have to worry about being loud when you were home you weren't disturbing yeah. anybody there was no one above us it was only a two-story building i think right. the only the only issue we had was just there was a freak storm and we had a leaky roof but that was it like it was, you know, and it was, they fixed it. It wasn't like, I mean, it, the guy that well, owned the hardware store owned the building. <laughs> yeah. So it's like, I was about know, to say, if they had a pretty good it, landlord. Like, yeah. Like you'd have, yeah, no. And actually they were a really good <laughs> landlord. Um, but like, it was one of those situations where like, you know, I would go down to do laundry at the laundromat two doors down and leave my laundry there and then go back and get it because like it, well, one, it was like 99, 2000 and it was such a small town that no one cared. Like it just if if someone wanted to steal my laundry, good all the power to you. <laughs> like laundry just... was safe in the '90s, Joel. Where have we come as, know, as a world right? where laundry is no longer safe? Um, the way you're describing your your university experience, like with words like a mound and used to be an academy, and my grandfather and above a hardware store and Saxville or whatever, Sorry. all these words. It's uh, man, it's it sounds like you're pitching to me like a Hulu Stephen King or like a like a oh it used to be a you know this back in the day and now we're all young people at university and oh when you're off campus four of you get in an old beat up Victorian house to rent aka horror show like I don't understand <laughs> like I, I I understand that plenty of things for King and um and we've talked about with Lock and Key and these different shows have filmed in Nova Scotia, but uh, in the area. But I, I have to say that uh, the more you describe it, the more I'm like, eh, I can kind of understand why. What, what came first? The authors were inspired by the area or the area inspired the authors? Probably more the area first. But it's yeah. really interesting. Just even you talk about your life. I'm like, oh, I like these details. Yeah, that's <laughs> well, very interesting. It's ex much more exciting than, uh, than, than most, uh, I think, American experiences just because with all the flatness of college towns throughout America, we have very few. Well, and they're Rich, small, and they're small areas, cities unto but, themselves, yeah. really. I mean, and you yeah, get that sure. in Canada too. I mean, you go into like UFT, like University of Toronto or McGill or something like that in Montreal. Like, I mean, they're huge, huge yeah. campuses. Uh, I could walk clear across my campus in 10 minutes. <laughs> like <it> was, <laughs> you know, and actually, and if you go for 15, there's cows. <laughs> it's like it, was, it was, well, I remember, I remember when I was, because I was training at the time uh, and I was doing a lot of running early, early morning. Uh, before classes and I was going for a solid four or five kilometers uh, uh, two and a half miles for those of you that are wondering and and so <laughs> I'd be running and in order to go anywhere I'd have to go out these long country roads and I'd be halfway through my run it's still kind of dusk and you're trying to make out what's you know what's going around the corner and then you just hear moo and you're like oh geez okay there's a cow right there okay you know the city boy Joel is just like well in the country now <laughs> <And laughs> yeah exactly yeah, it was, yeah, and that was the kind of thing, like, you know, how far do I go on my run? Well, I run until the cow pastures stop, and then I have to turn around and come back. <laughs> That's essentially <laughs> what, what was going on. It was pretty, it was pretty fun, actually. I, I'm glad I went to a small university, uh, although I don't think I knew that you went to NYU. In all the years that we've talked, I don't know that I knew that about you. Oh, yeah, I spent, yeah, go Violets. <laughs> whatever their mascots are um yeah. so if you had a uh if you had a, a book that you wanted to turn into a series what would you want to pull the trigger on oh uh well my first gut was dresden files but that had a shot 
uh, bad. And also in the sort of, I think, early aughts when sort of things were just being grabbed for sci-fi and different shows. I feel like sci-fi now or even better, something like a Hulu could do a much better Dresden Files because, again, there's more than 12 of them. And uh, he has a pretty clear, uh, Jim Butcher, the author, has a pretty clear through line for all of them and you could either take one book and do you know a three to five episode arc season uh each year and then you know put some solid resources in it it's a noir mixed with um uh supernatural and sci-fi and fantasy because there's a, a solid mix maybe less sci-fi but um uh, a good mix of fantasy as well because fairies and the the fairy kingdom and realm are just as important to uh, to the series as you know, like vampires and, and that sort of stuff. But uh, it's really great. It's also set in Chicago. Uh, Chicago, I got the Chicago in there. Um, I never do that. Um, <laughs> which makes it uh, also sort of like, I feel like whenever you have a, a, a series like that take place in a big city, uh, it, it tends to be a little exci- exciting too, because it feels a little grounded. Um, even if you never film in Chicago, which they probably wouldn't, but uh, maybe they would. I don't know. Anyway, but that's good. I I, I say that is, was my first instinct, but I'd actually give the green light to a different series because I don't think Dresden Files. I mean, it's great, and I think there's a solid niche for it. Uh, whereas I don't know that as many. And I brought it up a few times. There's a series of books by Peter Kleins. Um, who writes these series called X heroes and it's basically uh, superheroes in a zombie apocalypse or what used to be a zombie apocalypse or I used to be a, sorry, as my daughter bangs stuff in the background. Uh, it used to be a, um, a world of superheroes and then the zombie apocalypse happens. Uh, so it's not, so there was an established greater world and then eventually um, zombies creep in and some of the heroes, you know, still sort of identify as those heroes because some of them still obviously have their powers. Uh, and it's very L.A. if you live in L.A. because one of the places they they build their base is on the Paramount Pictures studio lot, oh, nice. um, which they call the Mount. Uh, lots of mounts talks today. A Mount, Paramount, you know, get your mount in. Um Anyway, uh, and it's good. It, it, there's five books. I probably uh, room for for far more. And uh, Peter Kleins also has done some some series in a of books and a thing he calls Threshold, which are very Lovecraftian. So yeah, overall Peter Kleins is really shot up as one of my favorite authors, and uh, I'd probably give that one the green light just because it's something fun. I think superheroes are still just in the general mind of the world with the MCU still being so big and zombies with walking dead sort of on its last legs, no pun intended, uh, but still branching out a bit, you know, aren't completely gone as I'm, you know, I'm sure you'll, you'll hear all the time uh, from zombies, my podcast and Lou and everything. But, um, but I think that's a good mesh of, of two. I'm not a zombie fan. No offense to, uh, to that. It's just, they just never spoke to me. And really I'm not a, a vampire fan, but vampires play big into Dresden Files and zombies play huge into X Heroes, and both series are incredibly enjoyable. So I, nice. I recommend both, and I think both would be done really well. Well, I know that I'm going to be tapping into my uh, long-awaited Borderlands Three play in in the main uh, topic for this week, but I know that you and I are probably going to be able to talk about Borderlands Three at length. So. I'm curious because it's Halloween uh, and I'm not a big Halloween guy. Um, I want to oh, start with no, you because really. I want to know, I want to know what, what you're watching for, for Halloween stuff uh, this season. 
so Halloween, uh, October is like one of my favorite months. I tend to do hashtag candy of this day and do a different candy every day, uh, try and do no repeats. And I also try and really absorb some horror films. I like horror generally throughout the year, but during this period, I kind of have shelved things that would scare me, or I just try and drag a bunch of stuff off the shelf that was in my queues and I just never got around to. So um, the A-list granddaddy of the month is uh, The Haunting of Bly Manor, which is a continuation of The Haunting anthology series from netflix we've talked about the haunting of hill house uh, i have at length on this show and i think we discussed it as well and uh, it was my pick back in 2018 for best my favorite tv show of that year uh hill house was and uh blind manor to my knowledge at this moment i haven't seen a bunch of the really big things that have been out something like a lovecraft country which is probably perfectly up my alley i just don't have access to um, so I haven't seen that. And of course, Mandalorian season two will come out, uh, at the end of this month. But for now, I think Haunting of Bly Manor is probably my pick again for 2020. Um, if, uh, you enjoyed the Haunting of Hill House, I think you will enjoy Bly Manor. Um, but in different ways, you should potentially prepare yourself. If, if you wanted, if you want a lot of jumps and a lot of just things that are just going to really make you creeped out and scare you then blind manor is not as much that it has a lot more thematic tension and pacing um to it than really just like oh my god the thing just really scares the hell out of me like there's some a lot more ominousness there's a lot more mood used um the story itself the book it's 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 based off of because both season one was built uh based off of the haunting of hill house and season two is uh based off the book uh the turning of the screw um if you're not familiar with those books then you know the, the whole story itself is 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 new to you but i will say i felt like bly manor felt the most like it was based off a book and adapted in my opinion having not read the book very well because the pacing feels like you're sort of working your way through a book uh, in fact there's some a little bit of narration to it as well um but some actors return from Hill House. Um, not everybody. There's a lot of new actors as well. Um, it's just, it was just very good. I it, Very, very excellent. Um, I, I had a sort of debate with my friend uh, that comes up on the show a lot, Adam, who I share a lot of the similarities uh, with. And um, he, uh, he and I we were discussing, I was like, I don't know where I'd put Blind Manor versus Hill House. Like, my gut instinct was like Hill House was still going to be number one, but Blind Manor still got me so many times um, emotionally. Uh, it definitely did not frighten me nearly as much as Hill House, um, not nearly as much. So I guess on the scale of scares, Blind Manor is, is mildly tame. But if you really love gothic horror, if you love more of an ambience, like I think when I think of Blind Manor, I think of more hitchcocky and things like rebecca or um even um it just left my brain but oh like um uh not del toro uh god guillermo del, del toro's um crimson peak um more of those types of things where there's a it's more just like that era of like an old house around a small town and and how that affects uh people more specifically it's it's really good i i thought um by manor without getting into spoilers it, it, it hill house felt like it was like a roller coaster at times where both emotionally and scares it kind of went like 
we we go down a little bit and then boom we hit you with something and we go down a little bit and boom and then we sort of work our way towards up towards a climax um that you can argue some people can argue that they didn't love some of the elements of, of the climax or the finale or denouement or whatever of hill house i feel like blind manor is just a constant pretty steady climb not a lot of peaks not a lot of valleys at all um, but the climb is is well done, and the peak is 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 beautiful. Uh, I really love Blind Manor a lot, so it would be very. Diff I think it would be very interesting to revisit it, like I have with Hill House, um, years from now, and see how how it holds up again. Um, but uh, it's is is quite good, um, very very good in, in my opinion. And um, on the more friendly side of things as we talked about disney plus earlier i tried to find at least one thing that if i was going to recommend halloween stuff to a family they could watch and the new adams family from 2019 um uh dreamworks um picture uh, i watched on hulu um and uh it was it was good i really enjoyed it i'm not a massive adams fam family person but uh, and I'm not a massive DreamWorks person, but if you enjoy the DreamWorks aesthetic, which is essentially a lot of like, um, I, I was going to say naughty humor. It's not like body humor. It's more like, you know, a despicable me where the jokes are like people get shot with like goofy guns and, mm. and the minions do like little silly naughty things or whatever. Like the DreamWorks aesthetics definitely applied to the Adams family, but the Adams family itself sort of, is the DreamWorks aesthetic, which is like jokes and sort of the slightly uh, darker sort of stuff. Yeah. And uh, and I think that what's good about the Adams Family film is that it very much makes an important message that you should not just be the same. Like sameness is not embracing everyone's uniqueness. And the Adams Family, being the Adams Family, is very very unique in comparison to the world in which they live. Uh, although you are introduced so much more to a broader sense of, of the family itself. Um, but I will say the one thing is there was a lot of times as a, as, as a father of a two-year-old and a, another baby on the way, part of me was like, you know, I, I didn't check the rating on this, but there are times that maybe, maybe showing like seven or eight year olds holding like large weapons and trying to kill each other as siblings is not the best thing to show other children because mm as much as you might as a parent try and be like, no, you know, it's for fun or it's a cartoon. Like you, there's still some stuff I see my daughter do. I'm like, I don't know for sure why she, she would think that or say that, but you know, mm -hmm. so for me, I feel like it's, it's, it's perfectly fine for PG 13 and older. If it's, you have much younger kids, particularly the type that might see somebody pick up a cleaver and might pick up like not a cleaver, but might pick up like a stick in the yard and start whacking their sibling a bunch with it um if that's not actually normally their shtick then maybe adam's family is is will will have a little bit more of a of a mixed message um but overall i think you know what you're gonna get with adam's family they they embrace the morbid they have a lot of good little bits and there's jokes for families there's jokes for kids there's jokes for adults like overall i was pleased with that i think my expectations are very low and uh and ended up being like a solid b sort of film so uh that would probably be my recommendation there and um yeah so i i, I like that um blind manner and then i just sort of rambled through a bunch of different um films in the hulu series of into the dark which is just like a year long like they make little films they put out for every month 
usually around a holiday. So there'll be like a Valentine's Day one and this and this one. All of them were pretty dumb. They're simple. They're not the worst. They have some decent ideas sometimes and they have some solid actors from different shows you've seen here and there. But overall, they're not. I didn't think any of them were particularly great. Um, I haven't seen all of them. And there's a few of them that I, I sort of didn't watch as much. But the one that stands out the most is um, is uh, I'm Effing With You, um, which is just a completely, completely over-the-top um, April Fool's-esque horror one. Uh, it's more like serial killer jokes and stuff like that than it is like ghosts and ghouls. But uh, that was the only one that I really was like, yeah, okay, at least parts of this I am enjoying. Um, whereas the rest of it was just sort of like, Into the Dark is very much like if you're familiar with Are You Afraid of the Dark as a Child? And then they just gave the more R-rated adult budgets and then you're like oh these are fine and some of the ideas here are okay but at the end of the day i'm not really walking away from this deeply scarred or really impacted by it but again you know at this time of year sometimes it's just fun to sort of throw in the trash candy so um those are my my biggest ones um to wipe my brain of the real spookums i've been revisiting gravity falls on disney plus which is two seasons of excellent kids cartoons I need that to watch are excellent that. for adults. It's I, so good, Joel. Yeah, and, I, I mean, I've, I've been, and I've been struggling and unfortunately like trying to find some things to watch and just going through the same old kind of like default searches on Prime Video and Netflix and not finding what I want and struggling to get through stuff that I'd started but I haven't finished and I always kind of tune out after 20 minutes like American Gods and like it just I'm just trying to slog through some stuff that I've invested time in and I would like to see it finished but I just don't find it holds my interest. Uh, and I forget, I, when I think Disney+, Plus, I think Marvel, Star Wars, and classic Disney films. I forget that they have things like Gravity Falls. And um, obviously, I'm looking forward to next week when The Mandalorian is going to return for season two. But mm -hmm. um, I don't remember what it was. Like I think I was spending the summer on Disney+, Plus rewatching some more obscure Marvel movies that I had only seen once. You know, things like Dark World from Thor and doctor strange and like stuff like that I, I i hadn't seen that often um captain marvel was another one but like i i have to remember and kind of talk to some more friends that are that have watched things like gravity falls and just find out where those things are there's another there's another um steven universe i think is another one i don't know if that was disney but that's not disney but it's it's highly highly recommended also another um, good cartoon yeah like yeah and i haven't finished it i probably won't but i did watch and enjoyed the first three episodes of Shira on Netflix because it was different, you know, and it was yeah. and it's well done. It's a good story, like just it's good message, you know, like all that kind of stuff. Uh, so there are some good things out there. I just I haven't had uh, I just haven't thought. You know, I think part of it is just like that paralyz the, the paralyzing choice. You've got yeah, not, not only too many. yeah, not only when you're in Netflix are you doom scrolling for twenty minutes trying to figure out what to watch, but like Netflix is one of three services that I have access to if you don't include YouTube. And it's just like, mm. you know, for people that have more than that, it's just like, where do you even start? Um, yeah. To return to the Adams Family, just so, um, so people know, the official rating is PG on the Adams Family. Uh, but you, you were suggesting PG-13 instead? I, yeah, maybe. I, I mean, as my child ages, we'll see. Mm -hmm. She's already saying things like are ruined. When she's two years old, you're like, what's ruined? Like, yeah. you're using the word ruined at two? Good God. Like, are you Wednesday Adams? <laughs> um, so maybe, maybe not 13. 
but I would say probably not five, six, yeah, seven, yeah, like yeah. maybe seven plus. Like, I think there's Y7 on a lot of TV shows now, like oh, the fantasy, okay. for fantasy violence. And maybe it's Y7. Like, I would say, you know, you probably just want to be aware that there is depictions of violence for the purposes of humor. Right. Um, and if you're not okay with that in a like despicable me, you know, sense or a lot of the DreamWorks type of stuff. Um, Cause I find DreamWorks does that more than Pixar. Like I know Pixar yes. probably has some of it, but I, you just don't see a lot of like Woody jokingly trying to like knock buzz into like something or like hurt it. There's not a lot of physical slapstick violence in DreamWorks that isn't either self perpetuated like a Mike Wiskowski hurting himself accidentally versus somebody hurting Mike Wiskowski for humor. Right. The way um, DreamWorks does. I think DreamWorks has a lot more of that, like, you know, sibling, like slap him on the back of the head. It's hilarious. You know, three stooges as stuff, yeah. which sometimes I think for little kids and sometimes for parents of little kids um, can be a little bit difficult to, to, you know sift out of of what you want to watch and i think too there's more peril in in dreamworks films uh not Mm. not 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 all of the disney stuff are absent of any real kind of like stakes but i feel like in a lot of ways things like uh how to train your dragon like you know characters die you know if mm. you can if you fall off your dragon you and you're not caught you that's not good like you know there's real yeah. stakes in certain places um whereas i think in a lot of ways that might be jokingly referred to like there might be like a a slip and almost fall in a Disney film, but they don't ever really have a character fall to their death sort of thing very often. Um, it does happen. I would say some of the older Disney films were actually a little bit less um, politically correct in that way. Like they, they, Oh yeah. They had, they hit Black harder. Cauldron. Yeah. Yeah. Like they, they had real, real stakes. Whereas I think sometimes they're a little bit softer. Um, I'm actually, I'm really looking forward to that new one. Um, Soul coming out from Pixar. Oh, that one! I was gonna say the 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 trailer just dropped for I think Raya, um, oh and yeah, the, something dragon that looks beautiful. And of course, you know they they throw up Moana and, and Frozen is attached to it, of course. And, yeah, and like I personally love just the world that it created for Moana, so I'm excited for this one as well. Mm-hmm. But yeah, that one also looks very cool. Yeah, um, no, I, I I saw the the teaser poster, but I didn't see the actual trailer. But it it, it just it it's nice to see that kind of stuff still going you know and and mm-hmm. now that we have this venue for disney plus as we mentioned last week on the show uh you know there's going to be a lot more heading directly to disney plus depending on whether theaters are open and all that kind of stuff um just to throw my halloween hat into the into the mesh with a warning i watched the predator uh i think this was from 2019 2018 2018 uh don't it is <laughs> it's a like they it's written and presented like a comedy it's like an action oh, no. it's like a rush hour it yeah huh. no it's not and but then then they combine that with some pretty decent special effects the predators are mostly cg they're not actually people in suits and and it's 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 got well it's got a kid in it for starters there's a 10 year old kid that ends up with predator gear and then the predators are going to retrieve it. And so like this army sniper guy is the dad and he has to go save his kid because the predators that he encountered are now after his kid because he mailed the gear that he stole off of a predator home. Cause that was the best idea. Um, <laughs> like just, and there's all, and, and there's all kind of just like 
inescapable, unexplainable bullshit. Like how did <laughs> like there's like a plane crash scene, starship crash thing where like they are clearly traveling very quickly for several minutes, and yet someone on foot catches up with them two minutes later, and he's like, "What you are? How did you even get here?" You know, sort of stuff. And the scientists, yeah. you know, knows how to shoot a rifle. Like there's all this kind of stuff that just didn't make any any sense. The only thing that was neat about it was some of the new culture and and um we'll say world building that they added to the predator species. The idea is that they were genetically um, enhancing themselves by hunting and killing the most formidable of species. And in the predator movies, they remove your head and their, your spine as like a trophy. That's kind of like when they yeah. kill people, it was pretty gruesome. But the idea was that apparently they were taking spinal fluid and then studying the DNA and what made that particular human or that particular alien species such a good hunt, like what made them a good tough target. And then, yeah. and then folding that into their own technology um, and genetics and ultimately what they end up with is is this giant 11 foot predator that that's um in this movie it's a neat idea wasted on a terrible film and and to make matters worse they wrap it up with like a a wholesome like um epilogue and you're just kind of like no like it, it's just <laughs> like it just makes no sense whatsoever um <laughs> the characters are laughable and inappropriate and it's written like a uh not a Larry David show, but it's 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 got that kind of like the 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 team that the 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 crack team of of uh, army dudes that take on these predators because they're the only people that know they exist are like they're destined for the loony bin. They're they're in a military psychiatric ward, and like so they're all <laughs> off their rocker and saying the dumbest stuff, and it just it just it just it just doesn't doesn't land. In, in any of the previous predator, even the predator versus alien movie was better than this. So yeah, I, w I would say stay far away, especially if you're a fan of the original predator one and predator two films, then that you, that that's not what you get. It's not an action movie. It It's a, it's an action comedy farce and, and it's not, not does not fit with the genre, but, uh, but speaking of action and speaking of bloody action, <laughs> I, I've spent, uh, I don't remember when I started it. I guess it was, Last weekend, um, I started playing... No, last Friday. I started playing Borderlands 3, finally. You and I have talked about this a number of times on the show um, in terms of getting into it. And, Talked, coerced, yeah, coerced arm uh, twisted behind yeah. your back. Yeah, exactly. And, and it's not like I didn't want to. I, I bought it on Steam on sale in the spring. Uh, I played Borderlands 1 and 2. I didn't finish 2, but it's not that I didn't like it. I just ended up with other things that were better to stream for me and other interests and always thought I would come back to it. And then Borderlands 3 came out and I was like, well, do I want to play Borderlands 2 or do I want to just jump into 3? And I just kind of said like, I don't really care that much about the story in Borderlands 2. I think I'll just be able to jump into 3. 3 seemed to pick up with a pretty solid explanation of where things left off. So, um, but so far, I, I will say, I really like it. I really enjoy it. It's one thing about this being the third installment. It feels good. The movement feels good. The shooting feels good. Um, there's more guns than you know what to do with, which is, is <laughs> it's honestly kind of a problem. Like I am constantly True. emptying my inventory and uh, I, I'm a bit of a completionist when I play these games. I do a lot of the side missions. I do look and pick up a lot of the stuff and it's, it's part of like the old World of Warcraft mentality where like even if you don't need that, you're still going to pick it up and sell it later because you're ultimately going to need cash. 
Then right. It's, and it's yeah. good because I'm sitting on like $16,000, which is nice because it means that if I see a very cool weapon in a, a, a vending machine or something like that, then I can just buy it. Even if I just yeah. want to try it, I can totally afford to just give it a go for 600 bucks or a thousand dollars or whatever. Yep. So, so that part's fun. Um, the the only criticism I had that felt different from the other Borderlands three right off the start, which I know you and I have texted about, was the over the top cartoony <laughs> violence of everybody exploding. And I don't mind it; it doesn't gross me out. I actually find it hilarious when it happens. But it was happening with ninety percent of the people that I killed, uh, to the point where it would make no sense. Like I would shoot somebody in the kneecap with a handgun, and their head would explode. I was like, mm, this doesn't feel as fun or as special when it happens all the time. So I've experimented on the last couple of streams where I've gone into the gore settings in the uh, options and I've turned them. I thought I was going to have some settings options, but it was like basically on or off. But even off, you still get blood spurt when you shoot somebody. And if you if you shoot them in the head or if you get like that, that super high um, critical hit, you'll still have things explode. Like you'll still have yeah. a body do things. If you have like a cryogenic, you know, critical hit, somebody will explode into like pieces, kind of like Terminator Two. You know, like they're frozen and bits of them go everywhere. And so, like yeah. th that kind of stuff, it's still rewarding. It still feels pretty good. But I, I've noticed that it does, it does kind of cut off some of the more interesting story beats. Where I did like a side mission where I had to get some blood and plasma and stuff for a medic, and then in helping him um, take his own blood. I'm assuming that I cut his arm off by accident yes, uh, because he asks and talks like I cut his arm off by accident, but because I had the gore settings off, his arm was still attached in, in the animation oh, and just bleeding yes. a lot. And so like they, they just kind of like patched that they slapped on this patch of like, you can turn the gore off and they really didn't give an option for people to be able to enjoy the other aspects of the game. Like I kind of feel like they should have had like a middle ground where like it's, it's off it's medium or it's on. And I kind of feel mm. like they should have some sort of medium, but it doesn't really affect the fun of the gameplay. I'm still, I'm a sniper at heart when I play these games. And so I'm not close enough to really see a lot of the blood and guts. Anyway, half the time I'm shooting from, you know, across, uh, you know, a, a block or an intersection or something. So I've been having a lot of fun with that. Uh, I'm playing a Zane, which was a suggestion that you made. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was looking at Flack because I normally just like to be the big characters. He looked like a hunter. I thought that would be good for sniping. Of course, I realized in Borderlands that it doesn't really matter what you do. You can use whatever weapon you want. It's not like you have to be a sniper. You, if you want to just run around with machine guns, you can totally just do that. This one in particular, they did a pretty solid job. I think people who are hardcore of the game would probably say, well, if Joel's a sniper, Brockett should have steered him towards Flack. But just as a quick point of of clarity i also think what zane brings from his his verbal outbursts to the world is yes. quite enjoyable and i like flack but i think zane's just i think a lot of people uh and and fans of the game will say jane kind of zane kind of like takes the cake as far as like the quips and then on top of that i also figured um some of the, the duality of his ability to use two skills at once rather than just one and just having a random pet kind of follow you around as flack is kind of I thought based on what we had discussed might might be more in your wheelhouse. And Zane's not a bad sniper by any means. But yes, no. I think traditionally you would argue that Flack is the sniper character. But to your point as well, the game, I believe, does a, a very good job of nearly all any of the four being excellent at sniping. 
Yeah, and and I think that one of the benefits of Zane's abilities being the Sentinel drone that he can send out, which is the first ability that you get, really helps in early game because as a sniper in in Borderlands Three, early game sniper rifles suck. It it does not yeah. feel like a sniper rifle when you get to shoot, still shoot the guy six times in order to kill him. And mm -hmm. so having the drone go out for these bigger enemies and help kind of like noodle them down and shoot them from behind and they're focused on you, but this thing gets around their shield. And so like, like I did find it very handy. I, I've since, I'd missed my grenades, but I, I've since added the, um, what's it called? The digi clone. So yeah. uh, he can double himself and that, that helps with boss fights and, and fights where there's a heavy that you need to distract and things like that. And I've got a couple of augments to my skills where like if I activate both of those abilities at once, then I get extra gun damage and I can like the three of us can really nail down a baddie pretty fast. Oh, sure. Fun. Yeah. Um, I was tempted by frack, like I said, but I was, I was also tempted by uh, Mons. Oh, I'm sorry. Flack. It's flack. I is, it, is it, too. is it flack? Yes. It's if F L uh, the number four and then K just oh, like, um, okay. just like zero from two is right. Z E R. And then the number, number zero. zero, right. It's this robot thing. They right. do. But, yeah. Um, but Moz was the other character I was thinking about, but ultimately as much as I like that kind of stuff, like getting into a mech and doing that kind of thing, I feel like it's better for like third person games now that not first person. And so, um, I decided to go with, with Zane. And like you said, I'm enjoying the quips. I can't remember any of them right now, but we have had some pretty good laughs on stream when he kills somebody <laughs> and, and the timing of his, his little, um, his little quip is just epic. Um, and really the voiceover in, in, in Borderlands three, it's just hilarious and inappropriate. And like, if you've got underage people in the house it's definitely a headphone situation uh, <laughs> yeah because there's... they do not drop f-bombs that's the one thing they but don't. the gore and the suggestive language yeah. and and how they use language is 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 very not okay yeah yeah, yeah. Well, i mean like i had i had a uh, i did this side quest for moxie yesterday on stream and moxie's oh, from boy. the other games and she's basically like a whorehouse barmaid um future she's already not safe for yeah work. Like, yeah just the way they yeah, build her yeah. Yeah, yeah yeah she's and the way that she talks but she's like she makes all of these short dick jokes about this guy kilowatt that you have to go mm -hmm. kill who's her who's her like ex lover sort of thing she calls him kenneth which is very funny um but she's everything she says about him is basically like you know in a inadequate you know compensation for you know overcompensating for things blah blah blah, blah yeah blah. and at the very end she's like you should you know shoot him somewhere that's uh i can't remember exactly how she put it like but then she goes like if you know what i mean and then, yeah and then a few seconds later before the voiceover ends she means shoot him in the dick that that's what i mean <laughs> yeah so, no, she doubled down it's like yeah. oh yeah okay i was there but thanks for the clarification <laughs> like so it's stuff like that that i just I, I find very funny and very amusing um i will say that some of the um the lesser bad guys, like some of the side quest people that you'll have on on like a, a, a radio chatter, they've done too much radio distortion and I can't understand what they're saying half the time. Oh, uh, that's and it's, it sucks. Yeah. So because I know it's funny because like you, these bosses are these mini bosses that you fight uh, these two these two dudes that you have to kill because they've kidnapped somebody or whatever. And they're arguing about something over the radio like they're the dumbest sons of bitches on the planet. Like the stuff that they <laughs> yeah. say, I know it's funny, but I can't make it out, which is unfortunate. Um, but any of the main story missions, anybody that has like an, uh, a photo of them, 
that comes up when you hear the voice. Those voiceovers are, are fantastic. I really enjoy, is it Lorelai? She's the Atlas contact that I've made contact with. I, yes. I should let people know that I'm not done the game yet. I'm currently in chapter seven. So I've connected with Zero from Borderlands 2, which is the character that I played actually. Um, I fan beat, favorite. He's yeah, a big favorite. Yeah. I beat Gigamind. Um, and I actually, I didn't realize, I don't know if I saw this in Borderlands 2, but I like how they, how Zero communicates in Borderlands 3. His face mask projects like a hologram of like smiley faces and emojis. Emoti yeah. And it's He really did that funny. a bit in 2, but they embraced it really hard in, um, in Tales from Borderlands and so on and so forth. And I think just as, since the technology is there and he's now an NPC versus a player character, they're able to sort of just really really um, jump that up a bit yeah yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. no so and he's really fun and I, his dialogue is also really cool because he sounds very robotic but then he says really fun stuff that you don't he says <laughs> emotional things at the end that you don't expect him to say yeah so it's like so this is a blah 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 blade and it has this kind of thing blah 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 translation it's a cool sword <laughs> yeah like, cool sword cool yeah, sword. yeah. Like, i'm happy about this like it is, stuff like that is really it was really cool um, some of the other characters, I, I find like some of the, I find it so strange that this stage in video games, they still can't figure out how to lip sync a character. Like you've got, yeah, sure, yeah. you've got the dialogue happening from a very talented voice actor. And then the Muppet in front of you, it's mouth is even <laughs> moving when the voiceover isn't happening. I was like, come on guys, yeah. like, just get it together. So that kind of stuff is a little bit bothersome, but, um, I comment almost endlessly about the set dressing in this game. Like there is so much stuff and so much detail between the boxes and the lockers and the alleys and the garbage bins and, and the posters on the wall. And then like the, you look at this poster and then you realize it's a hologram poster and then it flickers because you're in a war torn part of the city. And like, it's, it's really, really cool. And it felt very samey at first when I was on Pandora. And then exactly. you, you, you quickly get through those missions and you, and you, um, Lilith loses her powers to the psycho twins. Um, and that part was Calypso, okay yeah. because the only reason that she was alive because the script, the script said she was going to be alive. Um, don't, I mean, if it comes back later then sure. But like right now it was dumb. I was kind of, I actually have expected them to kill Lilith. Um, but then you go off world and then when you get to, it's not Pandora again, it's Pan. You get to uh, the Metroplex on um, Promethea. Uh, Promethea. Yeah. So I'm on Promethea and I'm at the Meridian Metroplex. And then it feels like an entirely different game. And absolutely, I get Mass Effect vibes big time. Uh, in a mm. very, in a very good, in a very good way. In that it doesn't feel like it's copying it. It just feels. Um, metropolitan like it just, it just feels like you're no longer a cowboy in this outback i'm no longer shooting skags thank god uh it's just it's it's it reminds you that this is supposed to be in a sci-fi far future whereas borderlands yes. the first two games even though it's quote-unquote in a sci-fi world it feels so much like more western than it feels it at does. times and i think borderlands 3 embraces and you'll see even more I feel like Borderlands 3, especially as a sci-fi fan, you're going to find much more rewarding uh, yeah. overall. Oh, it, I mean, it it was basically prepping my brain for Cyberpunk 2077. Like, <laughs> yeah, sure. yeah, there's a lot of neon and a lot of really cool stuff going on. Even the guns have more neon things and, and your ammo 
count is like a projection coming out the side of the gun. It's not actually like there's part of it's in the UI, but in some weapons, it'll actually be like a readout on the screen, which is just really cool. Mm-hmm. And, and I find that a lot of the guns are very different now. Like I'm, I'm more of a Hyperion uh, and a doll gun user. I find the other ones I don't mm-hmm. really gravitate to. I like having a scope even on handguns. And I also just like the, the grittiness of doll stuff. But yeah, for things like sniper rifles and shotguns, the the Hyperion stuff just looks so cool. And like when you zoom in with a Hyperion sniper rifle, you feel like you're playing a sci-fi game. You don't feel like you're just looking down a round scope of a of right a, yep. of a normal gun, right? And yep. and they often they often make fun noises. Like there's some mechanical whirring or reloading them is always this weird kind of like it opens up like a flower kind of animation and like there's all this really cool stuff. So I'm enjoying the guns. I I get a little bit overwhelmed with just how much stuff I have to carry around. And um, I one thing I do like about the game in that it doesn't punish you for not taking the most powerful weapon. So even though I might have a sniper rifle that does 108 damage, if I prefer the one that does 70, I'm going to use the one that does 70. And it has enough of a balance in that it probably shoots more often or it's more accurate or it's it's easier to aim or whatever it happens to be. And so you can still choose the weapons that are more fun than the weapon that has to be min-maxed, you know? Yeah, I agree. I'm not finding that the boss drops are anything I can use. Like, it's like, oh, here's a really cool handgun, and it that's not even as good as the handgun that's in your hand. And it's like, well, why why is this coming from the boss? I kind of wish that yeah. there was a mechanic where the game knew what you were holding, and then whatever the big boss dropped would be better than something in your hand so that you get a new shotgun or a new rifle or something that would be an improvement. Whereas most of the time, it's like, well, it's neat looking, but like it, it does half the damage of the thing that I have now, so I'm not going to use it. Um, yeah there's there's a certain level of of overpowered that still um when they try and balance things doesn't doesn't carry like some quest side quests you get will never scale like they'll still say they're trivial to you now because you're five levels higher than the recommended level but Mm -hmm. um the one of the things that biggest complaints i've seen as a fan of the series and people uh i've seen other fans they say like in borderlands one and two a blue or a purple level gun. So the the tiers of guns, white's common, green's uncommon, blue is rare, uh, purple is basically ultra rare, and then you would go to gold slash yellow slash orangish, which would be legendary. And then there's other tiers from other games, but that's your base, right? And um, in the older games, blue and purple with red text, red text in there usually is right. a quote. Uh, and it'll be a good joke and a reference to the name of the gun or what it can do. All those things would usually still be pretty good guns, like blue and purple level red text guns would still have a unique effect and would be very usable. But the one of the complaints they have from this game is blue and purple guns with red text generally, other than them being unique and dropping from certain bosses, a few of them are what they call like uber level where later in the game where you can kind of do a playthrough plus you want to re-grind to get the best and highest level version of that gun but a vast majority of them still do have a lot of um just get basically wiped out immediately by just a generic green gun at, you know 15 20 minutes later so um the the focus with this game it seems to be they had a lot more focus on making the legendaries both more plentiful but also more impactful and um, ironically, one of the guys you you mentioned killing, 
um, like Kilovolt, he uh, is is notorious because he drops a very, very good, very popular legendary uh, assault rifle called the Monarch. And um, over the course of this game, which has been out for a year, they've tweaked his drop rates for that gun because it, at one point it was very low, at one point it was very high. Um, and it's sort of all over the place, but it's an incredibly powerful gun. So what's ironic is his dedicated drop, the little blue one you got, which kind of, I think does like, like neon darts or so i don't know what it, i can't remember again it's forgettable um his other things these famous legendary weapons that are tied to him uh uniquely um that aren't themed like him but are tied to him if that makes sense um hit his drop weight for the monarch so he has a very very popular and very useful gun it's just not the quote-unquote mission reward kilovolt gun which to some people I, I can definitely understand is very frustrating but at the same time the balance being if you know you can always get this gun by killing him and doing that mission, then, you know, there are those weapons in the game. But if you make all those weapons like that, then it almost makes the farming element of the game, which is a big part of their of their post game, um, less, quote unquote, desirable because you're just farming a mission over and over again rather than going after a boss again. Right. Well, I have um, zero it's... desire to fight Kilovolt again because that <laughs> I did not enjoy the fight. I uh, <laughs> it I found that I mean it took me at least 4 to 5 tries. You people can go back and watch the entirety of it. He's yes, hard yesterday yeah. on stream. Um I think that the first mechanic is that the floor has all these different electrical plates on it and there is a system of like they turn yellow before they turn blue. The blue ones electrocute you. Um, and you have to avoid them. And I think the problem therein is that it's a first person shooter where I can't always look directly down. And yeah. so I can't see what I'm standing on half the time. And yeah. so I found that mechanic was not great. I got used to it and I got better at it. I obviously did eventually beat him. Um, and a lot of it was like using the run and the, the dash and slide attack. Yeah. So like if you, if you run and hit and, and duck, then you'll slide, which is actually, I think the fastest you can move. So I was able to yeah, avoid some of the attacks yeah. that way. Uh, I had a number of times where he basically one shotted me from full shields and full health to 9%, at which point I don't know what I'm supposed to do. And that yeah. just, I mean, I don't mind tough bosses, but I don't like it when there's like a, this one hit wonder where you're like, well, what could I do against that? Like I, I didn't find that at all fun um there's yeah he's i will say when i played the game the very first time i tried to go beat him just as my side quest and then i found that the boss even though the mission level said i was good the boss itself felt like he was like five levels higher than me so i chickened out for a while and then came back and beat him um the tricky part about him and some of the other bosses in the game is because some of them are farmable, like he's a big farm. Um, there are certain mechanics that when you first fight these bosses, you're kind of like scratching your head like, what? what? And then later you find out like there are shields that give you shock immunity. So you walk into his arena and his floor doesn't do jack. In fact, right. it just recharges your shields. So you just you just walk in there and all you have to do is focus on trying to kill him and not get hit by any projectiles he shoots or, or does that sort of stuff. So there are mechanics that while it's you shouldn't need an immunity shield to fight him there are also mechanics that later on in the game i think it's it's strange because it's almost like you can kind of be like oh well because he pissed me off i'm really going to enjoy going back and fighting kilovolt immune to electric now and basically i just give him the bird every time he, you know like mm -hmm. it's almost like the satisfaction at the in the far future whereas the frustration up front can sometimes um 
be meted out or balanced out by later uh, later on. But to be fair, I, I've always had this problem with Borderlands. Flying enemies, I don't know how you snipe them because I'm not a good sniper. But first and foremost, like when it comes to something flying, I'm not terrible. But I just spray the air because I can't effing shoot these sons of bitches. Yeah. And so I find flying bosses in every Borderlands to be some of the most tedious and frustrating fights ever. Whereas I know several people probably enjoy them more, but um, but I think a lot of thing is uh, a lot of it too. Sometimes the style, but I agree. I think the Killavolt fight is one of the early ones that they kind of throw side quests on. The entire area is side quest, by the way. Electricity is never important to the to the, no. I got that, series, and actually, but, uh, and electricity that was a cool mechanic of like you just can't go fight the boss. You have to go get these tokens in his mm-hmm. like television reality fight show that he's he's emceeing the whole time which is very funny right because he keeps on making passes at you uh yeah and and uh so then you're fighting all these i didn't find the the bosses the little mini bosses that you have to get the tokens from that difficult it was you had to keep your head in a swivel like you couldn't just waltz in the there, mobs but, are tough yeah yeah but i didn't i didn't find it too too bad uh, i died a couple of times because i got caught on geometry like where i'd be caught up against a railing or like i couldn't yeah i couldn't get down and then the incredibly strong melee characters that come at you the psychos and and if you don't kill them before they get to you then you're really quickly taken down and i couldn't really do much because i couldn't move and jump away um yeah yeah, the stuff like that i found i found was interesting i'm still only i'm still only uh three slots so i only ever have like uh, a machine gun, a, a submachine gun, and either a sniper rifle or a shotgun. So if I've got the sniper rifle, then I just don't really have much for up close combat. Like I don't have anything that's a lot easier to 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 um, to quick load because um, uh, handguns yeah. will load really quickly. But when you reload a machine gun, sometimes it takes us a while. I find for flying enemies, and now this I don't remember any boss fights that I can rec- like recall here on the podcast. But flying enemies, the bugs that were on Pandora at first Mm -hmm. uh i find the best way to use to take them out if you can get one is a machine gun not a submachine gun but a machine gun that has an alt fire mode for single shot because it's a really powerful um bullet but it also has a very rapid fire and and a big mag and so I find I was able to take those guns that those guys out um, much better. I actually have a decent machine gun right now. I don't remember what it's called, but you flip your your switch. And is this new in Borderlands Three? I don't remember yes. alt modes. Alt firing is yeah, new, and each each gun. Well, I would say the guns, the brands they leaned into each brand being very unique look and feel. Mm-hmm. The alt modes for each brand are different because Malawan, as you've come into contact yeah. with has two alt modes where they're both an element of some sort yep and then um you know doll will usually have many guns or have a sub or or a semi or an auto fire mode too um and a lot of them do that and i think each each gun maker is unique they look different they feel different um the shotguns have a kick and feel like a real shotgun the pellets are very interesting yeah so the guns themselves they they really went hard on making sure that People like the leveling. They like the building of their character with the skills. They like the guns. They like the dumb humor to the most part. I mean, I know a ton of people who still like be like, the humor is so annoying. I can't play the game. It's like, well, I'm sorry, but that's the game. Like, it's yeah. like you didn't oh, want to yeah. play friggin', you know, you didn't want to play Baldur's Gate and have all this D&D talk. It's like, well, they don't play a Baldur's Gate. You know, like, yeah. I don't understand. Like, that's part of the 
the mythos almost at this point. But um, I, but I anyway, love yeah. the characters. I mean, like um, I can't remember her name. She's the girl that gives you the vehicles at first. Um, Callie, maybe something like that. Um, Ellie. Ellie. Oh, Ellie. Ellie. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. Scooter's so sister. Scooter's Moxie's sister. daughter. Yeah, yeah. Like she's funny. She, like, she I has really... a lot of inappropriate jokes. Oh, she calls yeah. you some, she calls you some cute things and yeah. you will, your cheeks will blush. You'll oh, be yeah. like, well, Ellie behave yourself. Yeah. Oh yeah. No, that's, um, it's, it's really, really, really funny. Uh, Cause she mentions like, you know, I mean, she's a, she's a big woman. Uh, and, and she, she makes a comment about like, you know, Hey, eyes up here, soldier or something like that. And she's like, I know you were looking at these hams or something like that. It's yeah. really, really, really funny stuff. But like, it's those kind of jokes that are not, it's, I mean, they're not appropriate, but they're not vulgar either. They're just kind of made in good humor. Whereas yeah. I found that the kilowatt stuff was like, it felt like kind of like a Seth Rogen joke, you know? Yeah. Where, whereas um, the stuff with, with Ellie and, even some of the Lilith things that she says can be a little bit like tongue in cheek. She's more flirty in a, in a, in a, um, in a good way, not in, not in like an inappropriate way. Um, but I, I like, I like the voice acting for Zane. I like, I really like the feeling of, of the game. Now I don't think this is a spoiler. So tell me if, if, if you can, but I was looking at some of the different key commands when I'm looking at my inventory and you can actually bring up a gun and get like a really big close up of it. And you can even inspect parts of it. And it looks like you could uh, uh, eventually like change the parts of a gun, like change the sight or change the handle or the, the magazine loader or something. So from my understanding at this point, and I have not, so there's big news in the Borderlands world that they're going to come out with a totally new game mode for the game. Cause right now it's basically, you play through the, the, the main storyline and then you do, um, you replay through the storyline or you play DLCs or you play at, like, like basically raid bosses or sort of raid areas and that sort of stuff. And then apparently there's a new game mode called Arms Race, which is coming out, which everyone assumes is going to be tied very heavily to the amount of guns or which guns or whatever. To this point, and to my knowledge, you don't, you cannot change or manipulate parts on any gun you get. The interesting part of what they let you do is because there's so many bazillion games, what's interesting is when you zoom in, you can see how if it's a Malawan scope, let's say, it gives you this passive ability. So you'll see certain guns that have this weird, like gooey alien, like, like, um, like barrel sometimes that looks kind of weird. Mm -hmm. um, and that's because of a certain gun piece has been put into it um, and how it drops. So you can't, um, so really no spoilers. You, you won't. And to my knowledge in this point of the game, right. You can't really take pieces in and out, but you can change the skins of them and um and you can um uh, yeah you can pretty much change the skins of them that's, that's okay, pretty much cool the i mean i'm i'm gonna the next time i do a stream we're gonna go forward i had the opportunity at the end of the last stream to go to the next mission but because it was a story mission i thought well i'll just wait we'll we'll listen to the dialogue and we'll do the next stream with lilith and i have to go back up to the sanctuary three and then uh, go from there i think we're actually going to a different planet i don't remember what it's called athena athena i think yeah Athena's, um, yeah, yeah. It's it's like Athena with an S, but I think they say it's they pronounce it like Athena's. Yeah. yeah. So, um, so I'm looking forward to that because again, it's gonna be another planet. So it, it's already feeling like you said very more sci-fi epic. Uh, I think you're gonna like this new planet. It, yeah. it, it again feels very different from the other two. 
Cool. So, so yeah, I'm I'm looking forward. I'm having a lot of fun with it. I'm glad I'm glad I switched. I, I needed something a little bit more fast paced. Uh, I'm as much as I enjoy Minecraft and No Man's Sky. No Man's Sky has got some hard sci-fi vibes, obviously, but it's it's pretty slow. Uh, and uh, I also um, as my, I I need to beat a boss in Minecraft Dungeons because Minecraft Dungeons was the other kind of like beat 'em up, flashy kind of fun thing that I was doing on stream. But I mm -hmm. needed I needed to. Um, I, I needed to get away from Minecraft-esque stuff for a little bit, just kind of give myself a break. Well, that brings us into the Internet Minute, which is, of course, brought to you by you. The Sizzle Cafe is 100% listener-supported. If you're getting value out of the show, please consider putting a little bit of value back in. You can become a member at patreon.com slash the Sizzle Cafe. Joining at any level will get you an invite to the member-only Discord server. There are multiple levels with different rewards like Discord roles and bonus episodes. Uh, actually, during the pandemic, I've opened up the bonus episodes to anybody that is a member. So it doesn't matter what level you're at. Uh, then you'll get access to that bonus episode. Uh, starts at a dollar per show, which is $4 a month with less than a latte at Starbucks. So if you like the podcast, you want to keep us on the air, then consider becoming a member at patreon.com slash the Citadel Cafe. We are currently at 21 patrons. That's up one from last week. I normally set the goal to try to find at least one more patron per month than the month before. We were at 22 in September, which means we still need two more people to come on board for October to meet that goal. So if you're interested and if you'd like to help with the podcast, that's uh, patreon.com slash the Citadel Cafe. And I have some good news coming out of the good old USA this week. The US spacecraft Osiris Rex touches asteroid Bennu to grab samples. Uh, this is from cbc.ca. I caught this in my morning newsletter. I knew it was happening anyway because I follow NASA on YouTube and stuff, but confirmation from the Osiris-Rex spacecraft as it made contact with the surface of the asteroid Bennu more than 320 million kilometers away, uh, but it could be a week before scientists know how much if much of anything was grabbed and whether another try will be needed if successful, Osiris-Rex will return the samples in 2023. I thought this was just bananas cool. Uh, I I knew of the, the mission. I heard about it on Twitter. I heard about it on some of my tech podcasts. Uh, but watching some of the How It Works videos and and checking out this this article uh, was just really, really cool. Getting the, the stats on like how far away it is, how difficult it is to actually, because you can't actually land the spacecraft on the asteroid. The gravity is too low. It won't stay uh and so essentially the spacecraft had to touch the asteroid kind of like bounce on it and on the moment of 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 contact it did this thing where it blows out uh, a bunch of i guess air i'm not exactly sure how the mechanics work that kick up a bunch of particles from from the asteroid um off of the asteroid and then the spacecraft would then suck those particles into its collection system for later analysis back on the planet. Uh, so, but because there's no air in space, you can't just vacuum it up. Like you have to kind of like get it moving first and then suck it in. Yeah. Like it just, it was yeah. this really interesting idea. And what I didn't realize is that that's how dogs smell. When a dog sniffs, it will blow out first to kick up a bunch of particles off the ground and then it'll sniff in to find out like well what are these things what am i smelling and i was like okay i did i didn't know that about dogs um yeah that's awesome which kind of explains like the kind of like the huffy way that dogs kind of pant and, sm <laughs> and sniff around yeah, right? exactly. so um so yeah it was pretty good um so anyway i just it was a really neat um article on uh on space i guess exploration and, and science and just the fact that it's 320 million kilometers away just kind of 
boggles the mind. Um, and then my second pick, which is going to be very, very short, uh, something I had no idea about until I saw a retweet from Peter uh, McCann um, on Twitter, and that is the Great Green Wall or the Great Green Wall of the Sahara uh, and the uh, Sail, which is um, the green belt that over 20 countries, I think, are working together to create in Africa. It is a wall of trees and i mean it's it's not a it's not a thin wall it's a very large wall of trees that more than 20 african countries have joined together to plant uh and it will go across the continent east to west to help stop the spread of the sahara desert as the sahara travels south uh the great green wall of africa will stretch 7000 kilometers from coast to coast right across the whole continent uh but essentially it's just kind of to help with climate changes on the continent and the fact that more than 20 African countries are joining together to do it is just good news in the world of, of green science and green progress. And yeah. I thought it was worth, worth sharing. Well, that wraps up this episode of the Citadel Cafe. You can get more information about the show and links to some of the things that Brock and I talked about at thecitadelcafe.com. Music for the show was composed by Kevin McLeod, and you can email the show at thecitadelcafe at gmail.com or find the show by name on Twitter. Subscribe for free on iTunes, Android, Stitcher, Spotify, and now uh, Amazon Music. If you want to share the podcast with your friends, word of mouth is the easiest way to support the show. Just tell a friend about the Citadel Cafe and where they can go to listen to it. My name is Joel Duggan. You can find everything that I am doing online at uh, joelduggan.com. That will include links to the Spawn Chunks, a podcast all about Minecraft that I do every Monday with my friend Johnny. And you can also follow me on social media at Joel Duggan and of course at twitch.tv slash Joel Duggan where we will continue to play Borderlands 3. Brockett, where can Mm. people find you online? Just watching Joel play Borderlands 3. <laughs> uh, you can follow me at the cat volver, like a cat revolver. Uh, and you can also check out the hashtag candy of this day. You've been listening to the Citadel Cafe, where we are fast, easy, and cheap, but you can only pick two.